Today is a special day. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, while most of you are not enamored by that, as signified by your lack of amens, uh, this is arguably the birthplace of the church. Without a Pentecost Sunday, we don't gather today like we do. I don't think it happens. There's a transformation that takes place in the, the people we call the disciples on the day of Pentecost that without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would not have happened. It was what God had promised them. It was what we'll find out here in a little bit. It was what they were supposed to wait for. It was what it was. It was Jesus's last instructions to them before he ascended. And so, um, we're celebrating the birth of the church, really. And, and so if we, if we go back 50 days from the day of Pentecost, uh, we're all the way back to when Jesus is crucified and he's buried, he resurrects. So we've been walking through this whole thing over the last months. He's buried, resurrects on the third day. And he's been, he reveals himself over the period of about 40 days. The Bible tells us that the disciples are in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover when he's crucified. They're there on Sunday when he resurrects. They stay for the rest of the week for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then it tells us that they go back to Galilee for, for a period of time. The Bible says that Jesus reveals himself in Galilee. The last week we talked about, they come back, they come back and Jesus reveals himself again. So now they're in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost and something spectacular happens. And we're going to get in that today. The birthplace of the church. Amen. So I'm excited about it. Say amen really loud. Okay. Just want to make sure you're ready when I say something that deserves an amen, I want to make sure you were capable of giving it. I already know where those points are in the sermon, so I'll be listening intently to make sure you're listening. <laughs> Stand to your feet. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, that was not the context of what we know the day of Pentecost at. This was the feast, this was the day, the celebration. It was not yet the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Luke is recording when the day of Pentecost arrived, the day that the Jews were celebrating. They were all together in one place. We think they were back in the upper room. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Did you hear that? Every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus 
and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Somebody help me here. Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but others mocked and said they are full of new wine. Father, we pray. Lord, we pray not necessarily for a day just like that. But we pray for a day specifically tailored for where we are. The outpouring of your Holy Spirit was specifically tailored for that day and that place. And we pray for the same thing, Lord. You know what's happening in our land. Now the church is asking for power. Do what you do best and pour out your spirit on us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. I like, I, I, I like the, um, I just like coming at scripture from, from a human point of view. The disciples, this is a com- such a compressed period of time. You're talking about 50 days, so about not even two months. They have went from Jesus dying and resurrecting, him revealing himself, then locked behind locked doors and and all kinds of instances and then ascending into heaven. We find at the at the beginning of Acts, he ascends into heaven. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he had a hoverboard. I don't know if he had a row. Uh, it says the disciples were standing there and he somehow floats up into the clouds. Now, they didn't have TV where they could see David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Which really happened. So they weren't used to this type of phenomenon. They weren't used to seeing themselves tricked. And so they didn't have this skepticism. They were standing there and watched a real live human being rise up into the clouds. To which their response was this. They stood there long enough that the angel came down and went, hey, he's gone. Jesus has left the building. And the same Jesus that you saw ascend will come back. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. But you can't, you guys can't stand here the whole time looking up. You got to get going. So they depart. But they remember what Jesus said. Jesus' exact words were, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. To be my witnesses. We, didn't we, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Last week, before the ascension, he says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses of Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 records it. Jesus saying, and I will be with you always. How often? Always. And how long? To the end. He said, I'll be... How frequent will I be with you? I'll be with you all the time. How long will you be with us? I'll be with you all the way to the end. So they get this promise. Now, what you have to understand 
is that they did not have 2,000 years of scholarly advice looking back on the day of Pentecost to know what was coming. They didn't, they didn't have 2,000 years of studying what the little intricacies of, of, of where it was and how it was going to happen, all these things. They were living it in real time. Wouldn't it be beneficial to you if somebody 2,000 years in the future could come back and say, hey, listen, tomorrow's going to be a rough day, but here's what's going to happen, and blah, 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 blah. You need to lay up on the third hole. Don't try to be a macho man. It's going in the water. Wouldn't that be helpful? They didn't have that. They were living it in real time. Just like you and I are living our lives in real time. All they had was Jesus saying, stay in Jerusalem and wait. It would have been beneficial if he told them how long they had to wait. Don't you think? I mean, I'm I'm a guy that likes to know how long things are going to take. (laughs) Anybody been to Lowe's lately? Dear God, help us all. I bought a refrigerator for the church the other day. Uh, It was a scratch and dent refrigerator because I like deals. Scratch and dent refrigerator. I can look over anything if it's a good price. Overlook anything if it's... So... um, so I buy this refrigerator and I told the guy, I said, Hey, I don't have my trailer with me, but I'll come back and get it this evening. He said, yeah, that's fine. So I come into Lowe's and, um, and there's like an hour lie at the customer service desk. And I thought in Jesus name, I ain't standing here. <laughs> so I go back to the appliance place and I said, um, Hey, there's a giant line up there. I'm sure you and I can work this out. I bought this scratch and dent refrigerator. I got the receipt. If you just let me go get it. I'll be out of your hair. He said, I can't. You got to go back and get a printout. I said, bro, I ain't standing in line. And I said, I'm not coming back tomorrow to stand in line either. You have an impatient pastor. So he's like, I don't know what to do for you. Like you have to stand in line. And then the Holy Spirit came upon me. I looked above his head and it said, any appliance over 349 free delivery. And I said, well, hey. Looks like you can deliver it for me. And he said, well, how much did you pay for it? I said, $900. Sign me up for Monday. I, the older I get, the more impatient I get. Anybody drove by the Chick-fil-A parking lot lately? I, I drive by it almost every day, hoping that the Holy Spirit has changed something about that place. But I drive by it and I look at it and I'm like, nope, I'm going to go to Arby's. I ain't been there in 15 years, but I'm going to Arby's today because I will not wait. I will not wait. I don't care if it's a, I can fix chicken sandwiches at home. I am not sitting in a line for an hour to get a chicken sandwich and a best milkshake on the planet. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting. We are frustrated with slow internet today. That's how impatient we are. I'm curious. Any of you remember when the internet, when your computer actually had to call the internet? You'd be sitting in your, in your room and it would go, And your kids are like, you're like, it's calling the internet. Just hold on. And you'd go fix dinner and then you'd come back and you'd be like, we're on the internet. We're on the internet. And then your mom calls and ruins the whole thing. You're like, mom, I was on the internet. Remember when you'd be in a store when they first started swiping credit cards on electronic thing and they would swipe your credit card and nothing would happen and the guy would yell back, Billy, get off the phone. 
The things we used to wait for that we don't wait for anymore. The things we used to wait for. We become such an impatient society. We become an impatient church. Big C church. We become impatient with the pace God keeps sometimes. But I've, I found out, I, I love a word. We, we call this sermon series suddenly. Because on the day of Pentecost, it uses, Luke uses that term suddenly. All of a sudden, without warning, with no expectation, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fills up the room and fills everybody in the room. Suddenly. But here's what I realized. Suddenly only comes with patience. Suddenly only comes with patience. Jesus says, wait. If I was there, I would have been like, how long? What day? What time? Because if you told me what day and what time... I might just show up then. I might not wait in prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if God would just say, hey, listen, next week uh, on Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to do anything to get it. You don't need to wait anywhere. You don't need to pray. It's just going to boom, show up on you. And then you'll be able to overcome anything that comes your way on Tuesday at three o'clock. Wouldn't that be awesome that, that God just operated like a Google calendar? And then you could send everybody else the link to know that you're being empowered. The trouble is, suddenly only comes with patience. And he doesn't give you a time or a date. He doesn't give you a definite, put this on your calendar, I'm showing up, guys. He just says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Well, wait how long? For wait where? Wait how? Wait for what? I'm not sure. You know, there was, he didn't give any explanation about what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would even look like. He didn't give him hardly any details. And we want every detail. Amen? I want it done my way. I mentioned Chick-fil-A, or if I go to Chick-fil-A and you put a pickle on my, chi- on my chicken sandwich, I will not eat it. People say, take the pickle off. The pickle is already on there. You can't take it off. The bun sucks up the pickle juice. Don't you pickle lover people already know that? And you're like, just pick it off. The thing tastes like pickles. So when I want God to do something, I want it the way I want it to happen. Just like I want a sandwich the way I want it. There's two things that I don't eat. Dill pickles and ketchup. If you put either of them on my food, I will starve to death for principle's sake. Not eating it. I remember as a youth pastor, I had a bunch of kids over the house one time. We fixed hot dogs. And, uh, and, and the kids knew I didn't like ketchup. So they sprayed ketchup on every hot dog that I'd fixed. I went hungry because it's not the way I like it. And the older I get, the more I figure out it's going to be my way or no way. Just to make sure there's other people in the room. The older I get, the more I want it my way. Amen. It's something When you get a little bit of age on you, you get this confidence that your way is right. Because it worked. For so, so, don't put pickles on my sandwich and expect me to pick them off. I'm paying for it. So we transitioned 
The disciples have no idea what to expect. We have 2,000 years of history and we tell God, I'll wait as long as you give it to me my way. Because we've had time to come up with what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to do and what it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to affect us. And Lord, I want to be empowered as long as it, as long as it doesn't bring pickles. As long as it doesn't inconvenience me, as long as it fits in, as long as I don't have to change a whole bunch, I'll be patient as long as everything works out the way I planned it to work out and you don't throw any monkey wrenches in anything. Lord, don't mess up what I got going just to empower me. The beautiful thing about the day of Pentecost is they didn't have an opinion about what it should look like. There was no opinions about what it should look like in the room. All they were doing is waiting for something they had no idea even existed before. Wait and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. They didn't even use language like that before Jesus said it. They weren't waiting around to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They had Jesus with them. So he says, I'm leaving. You're going to be empowered. Wait. I'm not giving you any more information. And so what do they do? Just like little kids experiencing their first Christmas, they got no idea what's coming. Do what you do, Lord. We're going to wait until it happens. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know what the ramifications of it happening will be. We don't know anything, but we are going to patiently wait. And when they were patient, suddenly happened. What if the church stopped giving God the criteria for him pouring out his spirit and we just went back to the first century church and we said, you know what, we're just going to wait. And you pour it out like you pour it out. No prerequisites. No, no, you have to do it this way. No, I, I, I listened to my favorite, uh, my favorite preacher on TV yesterday and he, he told me it had to happen like this. What if we just went back to the first century church and trusted God to do it his way? Where we just said, we're going to wait. We're going to wait in our houses. <laughs> We've been doing that, by the way. If you haven't been praying, you missed a good opportunity. We're just going to wait on you to empower us, Lord. Because here's what I want to make sure you understand. God knew exactly how he wanted to empower them that day in that place for those people. That's really significant. We're going to get to get that later. So he said, wait patiently. Suddenly comes with patience. Suddenly comes patiently. Acts 1, 4 says, while st- staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Never explained it. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. There was about 120 people in that upper room and they were just patient. You promised us something, Lord. We don't know what it's going to look like. We will wait patiently. Can I ask you this? Could it be possible that what God wants to do in your life would be worth waiting? 
Is it possible that what God wants to do in your life through the empowering of the Holy Spirit would be worth waiting on him? Because here's what I think, here's what I think happens to us. We pray and then we go, okay, do it. Jesus name. We throw Jesus name around like it's the the catch all phrase, right? Lord, in Jesus' name, take this away. In Jesus' name, fix this. In Jesus' name. The disciples just went and waited. How long did they wait? I think they waited about 10 days. How long do you have to wait? I don't know. I don't know. You're like, well, the disciples waited 10 days. I'm not waiting a day later. (laughs) If you really believe that what God has for you is, is important and pivotal... You'll wait as long as it takes. Amen? You'll wait as long as it takes. So how will I know? Oh, you'll know. You'll know. We'll get to that in a second too. You'll know. But we cannot become an impatient church when God pouring out his spirit when suddenly requires patience. Suddenly requires us trusting God. That his timeline is perfect suddenly requires us going, hey God, you know what? I will wait until you empower me. I'm going to be patient. Because you know what I find out? God is extremely patient. And when we're patient, we're like God. So, So here's what happens. He says, stay in Jerusalem and wait. So look at your neighbor and say, suddenly requires patience. Suddenly requires patience. Also requires something else. Suddenly requires patience. If you want things to change, you have to be patient. It also requires something else. Suddenly comes by obedience. Oh, man. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just wait but do whatever you wanted while you waited? I preach this all over the place. It's, 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 my, it's my life theme. Um. Jesus says a very important thing there. He says, stay in Jerusalem. Now we know later that there was a reason he wanted them in Jerusalem, but I don't think it was a knee jerk for the disciples to stay. That's why he told them to stay. I don't think it's a place they were comfortable in. I don't think it's a place they wanted to be. I don't think they liked being in Jerusalem because, because imagine walking up and down the street in Jerusalem and taking a chance of running into the people that you saw arrest him. Imagine Peter walking up down the streets of Jerusalem and, and, and maybe having a chance to see some of the people who had seen him in the courtyard that night when he denied Christ and having to come up against the idea of, of do, I, do I say I was with him now or, or do I just deny it again? Imagine that type of pressure on you. So Jesus specifically tells them to stay in Jerusalem, I believe on purpose, because I don't think it was going to be their, their deal. I don't think they want to stay there any longer than they had. They had to. So Jesus says, not only do I want to be, you to be patient, I want you to be obedient. And I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Where is it dangerous? Yep. Is it comfortable? No. Is it convenient? No. Would I rather be, would I rather be back in Galilee with everybody I know and everybody I can, I can trust? Yeah, I'd rather be back there. But Jesus tells him, stay in Jerusalem. When you obey, it's a sign that you trust God. 
When you obey, it's a sign of that you trust God. It starts out early in life. When we obey our parents, it's a sign that we trust them. It's also a sign that you're going to live long. After all, isn't the, isn't the commandment, obey your parents? And then it says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that you may live a long life. That's what God figured out real quick, that parents can kill their kids. If you want to live a long time, obey your parents. There's blessing and obedience. We learned that as a kid. If you do what I say, I give you more freedom. That's what, that's what we did with our kids. If you don't do what I say, we clamp down. Amen? You're like, nah, we just let them do whatever they want. This is 2020, Pastor Chris. You don't want to stifle a kid's spirit. You better stifle something. So obedience, obedience signifies trust. There's things I say to my kids and I might not explain the whole thing to them, but I say it to them because I want them to do a certain thing. I want them to respond a certain way. So I tell them, this is what I want you to do. And then when they don't do it, they come back to me and say, well, I thought, and I said, I didn't ask you to think I asked you to do. There are times where God just says, I need you to be obedient to me right now. Now, they didn't know this, but we have the opportunity to look back and see why it was so important for them to stay in Jerusalem. Because if they were in Judea, they'd have been surrounded by people that they knew. They would have been surrounded by a single type of people or in Galilee. They would have been surrounded by Galileans. There's nothing, nothing special happening in Galilee at that time, but the celebration of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost was happening in Jerusalem. So the Bible says that there were Jews and proselytes from all over the then known world there. Oh, you want to start a church up? You get a crowd from everywhere gathered together. So all of a sudden staying in Jerusalem becomes very, very pivotal. Listen, can I just say this? When God asks you to be obedient, he is a million times more strategic than you. Just say yes. Just say, I trust you, Lord, that this is going to work out better than I ever could have imagined it. So I want to ask you this morning. If God asked the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait on power, and it was the most strategic thing, it was, a, it was the launching of the church in a way that the whole world would see it. What strategic discomfort is he asking you to stay in today? I can, I can ask you that question because we're in a culture of leaving. Amen? When it doesn't feel good, I change it. Come on, is there anybody else like me? When it doesn't feel good, I change it. I don't care if it's an animal. I don't care if it's a pet and I don't feel good about it. Time to go. Making me some discomfort. Somebody else knows how to love this thing better than me. Let's do something different. I don't want to stay in discomfort. I don't want to be un- inconvenienced. I don't want to, I just want everything to go the way I want it to go and in my time frame. And when everything starts getting weird, I want to see it change instantly. So guess what? We change jobs, we change relationships, we change marriages, we change, you name it, and we are good at leaving it. It's our culture because, because after all, it's the American dream. I should be happy, shouldn't I? 
Come on, haven't you told yourself that before? I should be happy. Worked hard, I should be happy. But what we find out is that God calls the disciples. Jesus tells them specifically, stay in a place that's not going to make you happy because it's strategic. He said, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go back to Galilee. Stay in Jerusalem because when I pour my power out, it's strategically going to be in a place where the church launches forward. And so he didn't ask them how they felt about it at the time. Don't you love that? Well, God, if you want my opinion about nope. Nope, nope, nope. Kind of got this worked out. I'm God. (laughs) I kind of see the beginning and the end. And so what I need you to do is trust me. So what did they do? They went into the upper room and they stayed. And the Bible just says they prayed and they prayed. The Bible says they took a little time to figure out Judas's replacement. They probably had a snack. You can break a prayer meeting for a snack. Any good Pentecostal knows that. They prayed and they waited and they prayed. I'm sure they had discussions. What does all this mean? I don't know. But he told us to stay and wait. Are you comfortable with this? I don't know. He told us to stay and wait. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. He told us to stay and wait. I don't know. How do you think it's going to happen? I'm not sure. But he told us to stay and wait. So, so over the next week, they're praying and they're being patient and obedient. I want to ask you this. What difficult circumstance are you in right now? Everything within you wants to leave, but you think God's telling you, you better stay. I've got something planned in that. Are you in a job right now where, where just everything seems to be going sideways and it doesn't, and the easy thing to do would be leave. But when you pray about it, God doesn't say leave. He says stay. And you're like, what are you talking about, man? I'm losing my mind. Maybe God strategically is planning on pouring out his power in that circumstance. Maybe you're not happy in something and, and, and everybody's told you, I should be happy. I should just be happy about everything. And, and everything should be, be, God, you know, I've worked hard. Everything should be going my way right now. But God is not telling you to leave. And you're going, God, how can this be? What do you mean you want? I'm not happy here. Wait a second. I got something strategic planned that I need you in that place. And oftentimes obedience comes in uncomfortable circumstances. The gift of obedience comes in an uncomfortable wrapper sometimes. Amen? Not every time my dad told me to do something, I went, Dad, I think that's the best idea ever. I can remember as a kid, my parents making me, we had, we had, a, we had, a, we had to walk up a, a, like a quarter mile driveway. And back then, man, you rode the bus whether it snowed or didn't snow. And the bus driver put chains on both ways. Now, I know some of you got stories about walking through the snow uphill both ways. Now they don't even drive the bus. Sometimes when it rains. So my story was we had to walk down a quarter mile driveway and we had to stand out in the freezing cold. So my parents thought the best thing to take care of their kid was to make me wear these ugly boots. And I thought, Dad, all I want is a pair of Jordans. It was back when they first came out. I just want to wear sneakers. I want a pair of high top sneakers. And my parents were like, you're going to wear boots. It's cold out. 
Now, I've since said, my kids can wear sneakers, it's their feet. (laughs) I don't care. I'm not cold. They can be cold. They'll learn. But guess what I did? I wore the boots. I wore the boots. You know why? Because my dad told me to wear the boots. Anybody remember growing up in a house like that? Well, why'd you wear the boots? Because he said wear the boots. Did you see him? Like a hundred pounds. He's like six one two thirty. Do I have a choice? He said wear the boots. I don't care if they're comfortable, uncomfortable, if they make my feet cold or hot. He said, wear the boots. Guess what you're going to do? Wear the boots. But because you don't see God, because God's patient with you, because God's long-suffering, because God's not quick to judgment, we argue and we argue and we argue and we argue. And there has to be some point in our lives where he says, stay, and we just go, I don't know, he said, stay. Why are you saying? Because he said stay. Why are you wearing the boots? Because he said wear the boots. I don't know what's going to happen. What is, what's going to happen? Why would you do that? I don't know. The disciples had no idea what obedience was bringing into their lives at that point in time. They just knew we're going to obey. And so this incessant need to know everything all the time, in the future, in the past, everything all the time, blocks our ability to obey God. God, what is going to happen? He's not telling us. God, how, how can this possibly work out? He's not saying anything. What's he keep saying? Stay. Do what I ask you to do. Keep doing what I ask you to do. How long? Keep doing what I ask you to do. How long should I wait? Keep waiting. It's over and over and over again. Obedience, like patience, brings suddenly. Stay in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the venue that God wanted to demonstrate his promise. He knew all along that he wanted it to be in Jerusalem because every nation on earth would be represented there. And in one fell swoop, he could pour out his power on the disciples. They would speak in other languages and people from all over the world would hear. How in the world could that happen? Now, just in case you know, no one, none of the disciples had a Babel app on their phone. They weren't studying other language up to this point in time. They weren't going, hey, listen, you learn Greek and I'll I'll learn this language. You learn that language. I'll learn this language. And then we'll just start talking. It wasn't a mission strategy. They weren't training people in other languages to one day stand in a room and scream out the glories of God out the window in other languages. It was not their strategy. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So be patient. Be patient and obedient. And obedient, and God will enable you to do something that you can't do on your own. God will download a Babel app to you in 30 seconds if that's what needs to happen. God will give you the power to do whatever your circumstance needs. If we are faithful to be patient and obedient, He pours out the power. At the exact right time, at the exact right place. For the exact right response. Suddenly always gets a response. Did you hear that? Suddenly always gets a response. You can't have the day of Pentecost without everybody hearing it. And here's what scares me. 
It scares me the church can think they're empowered with no response from society. I'm going to say that again because I think all of you fell asleep. The church, it scares me that the church can think we're empowered without any response from society. Because what I read on the day of Pentecost is everybody realized it happened. Suddenly always gets a response. And it wasn't just the day of Pentecost. It was other times where there were, the Holy Spirit was poured out on people with evidence. And what happens is it always gets a response one way or the other. It is not, it's not a deniable thing. It's not a thing where people can see it happen and just go, well, it didn't, ha- well, it didn't happen. There is a response all the time. Verse 12 in Acts there says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? They're seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out, hearing it, hearing the glories of God in their native tongue, and they're going, Whoa, this is crazy. What does it mean? There's a response every time. Eight chapters later in Acts chapter 10, Peter, this is so important in today with what's going on with today. And I want you to lean in, lean in, lean in. The band's going to come up. We're going to close with this. Watch. Always a response, always a response, always a response. Peter, eight chapters later in Acts chapter 10, goes to a man named Cornelius' house. He sees visions. Not 100% sure what's going on. He go, he's instructed to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is a whole nother race. Goes to Cornelius' house. Starts preaching the glories of God. The Bible says that Cornelius is baptized in the Holy Spirit. His whole household before Peter even gets done preaching. It's like they didn't even wait till the closing. It says while he was still speaking. Suddenly. Now watch what happens. In Acts chapter 10, it says that the circumcised Jews there, the devout Jews, the ones who who were the same race as Jesus, the devout Jews, were amazed at what just happened. That the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles, a different race, a different a different tribe, a different lineage, a different everything. But the, but the spirit was poured out and it brought a response. They were just as amazed eight chapters later as they were on the day of Pentecost. They went, whoa, this is unbelievable. Now, I do need to do a caveat here really quick. It doesn't stop what they were amazed in Acts chapter two. It says some said, oh, they've just drank too much. If you think the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out in your life is just going to make everybody clap, don't, buy, don't be naive about that. Nowhere in scripture does it say, be empowered by the Holy Spirit and everybody likes you. And we, are in a cult, we live in a culture where we have to be accepted by everybody and everything. And it's a, and it's a, it's a, it's a, tripping, it's a tripping hazard to, the, to God pouring out his spirit in our lives. Because some people were amazed and perplexed and some people pawned it off to being drunk. Stand to your feet. I want you to lean into this last thing. I know you turned the news on this past week. 
I know you saw in a couple days. I mean, we, coronavirus? If that wasn't crazy enough, all the, I mean, all hell has broken loose. Now, now watch this. You look at Acts chapter 10 and you realize that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took two communities and went like this. Two communities who would not have associated each other with each other very well. Two communities that had different opinions about how everything should happen. It took two communities. When Peter walked into Cornelius' house and started preaching and the Holy Spirit fell, it said everybody went, oh, this changes everything. The power of the Holy Spirit falling on the church brings reconciliation. The power of the Holy Spirit falling on the church brings brings peace. It brings unity. It brings all the things that our nation is missing right now. The power of the Holy Spirit falling on the church of the day of Pentecost is the answer to everything that, that ails us. If we, the church, would wait and be patient and we would be obedient and wait for the Spirit to empower us, it would cause our nation to go like this again. Because here's what I know. Racists and rioters are not full of the Holy Spirit. They're not. So the church doesn't have, doesn't have the luxury of standing back on the sideline and going, you know what? It'll all, it'll all dwindle at some point in time. No, no, no. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fall like the day of Pentecost so that what happens is it brings a response. People have to respond about a community coming together. Why is it coming together? Because the power of the Holy Spirit fell on the church and we became who God called us to be. Peter had to have visions in order to go to Cornelius' house. We have the benefit of reading that. We don't need visions. We know what's right. And so we ask God, give us the power of reconciliation. God, give us the power of healing. Give us the power of forgiveness. Give us the power to do that. So I'm going to tell you something. When it's burning down, it's the perfect time for him to pour out his spirit. Amen? It's the perfect time. So here's what I'm asking you this week. Don't be flipping about it. Don't be like, yeah, that was a pretty good sermon. I may go back and watch it again. Spend this week asking. And Lord, you told me to stay. You told me I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna stay and wait. I'm gonna stay and wait. I'm gonna stay and wait. I'm gonna be obedient this week. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay and wait till you empower me. And when you empower me, it's gonna change me. Peter at Cornelius' house, eight chapters after the baptism of the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter is having a reconciliation moment with the Holy Spirit going, hey, you know, those powers poured out on all of us now. And that means we're the same. That means the same God is with every race on earth. That means the same God is with every color. That means the same God is with everybody. He's redeeming all of us. And it took the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out to open their eyes to it. So I'm asking us to do the same thing. Reconciliation can happen when we patiently wait on him and when we obey him. So it starts in our houses. It starts with us. And so we pray and wait like that. Amen. Can we start that this morning? Father, we thank you. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord. It's the answer. It's the answer, God. 
Pour your spirit out on a church that's weak. Pour your spirit out on a church that's been silent. Pour your spirit out on a church. God, pour your spirit out on us. We will patiently wait with no agenda and we will obey you. Lord, let the church not leave communities, Lord, but let us let us walk into them with power. And show the love of Christ. Empower us in the difficult place, Lord, to do what you've called the church to do, and that's reconcile. God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. You put it right in front of us. We pray that you would empower us, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church. Could you, if you agree, could you give him praise and honor this morning? Hey, listen, we're going to see you back here next week, but don't leave this thought. Quickly go home and wait on the presence of God to empower you this week to do what he's called you to do. We'll see you.